and a good Friday afternoon, KPFK and your very own radio at 90.7 FM all over Southern California. Out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7 FM. And, of course, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Hi, hello, howdy. Michael Benner with Intervision until 2 o'clock this afternoon on a Friday afternoon. It's been a crazy week with a holiday right smack dab in the middle. I don't think anybody knew what to do. Was last weekend the holiday? Is this weekend the holiday? Was all week a holiday? I hope so. And that you got your fireworks on and celebrated your independence and all of that. And uh, in any event, I'm glad to be here. And uh, I feel like I owe you an apology. First of all, a debt of gratitude. I want to thank everybody who participated in the KPFK Fund Drive. Whether you made a donation or a pledge on this program or uh, any other program, because there are so many worthy programs on this radio station, and the radio station and its specific mission, of course, very deserving of your support, and uh, I'm always impressed when three times a year we open up uh, for a couple of weeks the telephones and we get volunteers in here, and even the food vendors volunteer to bring in free grub, and then people call. People who listen to the radio station enjoy the fact that it's commercial-free and editorially indebted to no one. People who could listen for free, and who would ever know, call up and uh, pledge money. It's amazing to me. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep this radio station on the air, to keep it commercial-free, and as I said, indebted to no one else but you, the uh, sustainer, the subscriber, the family member. So, number one, my gratitude to everyone for your uh, donations and for your pledges. By way of apology, uh, I think I owe you an apology because I wasn't here last week. I fully intended to be here. I told you that I was going to be here. We tell you every year that the fun drive is two weeks. Oh, what is this? Yeah, back off of that. <laughs> thought we were going to start at the top again. No, uh, the fun drive went long, and not just a day or two long, but several days long, and we got bumped, and so I wasn't here. And uh, that's as much as I'm going to say about it. I don't air KPFK dirty laundry, so I'm not going to comment on it other than to apologize to you because... Uh, we promised you we'd be here, and we weren't, so that's that. And yet it's uh, water over the dam, so let's look forward and enjoy our day today and our theme, which I'll announce in just a minute, and the fact that we do most weeks get to be with you and provide this kind of uh, non-commercial programming. Imagine a program about spirituality and health in different formats five days a week at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on KPFK. That's pretty cool. And uh, so we're happy to be here and be a part of that and provide it for you. I have a tradition that goes back 13 or 14 years to when I first began to volunteer here at KPFK, and uh, I still remain a volunteer, which is after fun drives, we go back to basics. This is a program about spirituality and health. It's a program about metaphysics, about human potential and self-realization, personal growth and development. 
And so what does it mean to go back to basics and all of that? Well, frankly, it means taking a serious look at fear. Now, fear is such a frightening word that we uh, have a lot of different words that mean the same thing but don't sound so scary, starting with anxiety. And then we have even softer words like nervousness or worry or doubt. How about a concern, misgivings, apprehension? (laughs) These are for the men in the crowd. (laughs) I'm not afraid. I have my misgivings. Okay. Well, by any name, anxiety is really fear. I mean, clinically, there is a difference. You won't find very many psychologists or psychiatrists or, well, let's put the psychiatrists outside of the loop here. I mean, real counselors, not just script writers, but uh, therapists and social workers and others, they don't talk about fear because uh, technically fear is a response to danger, real or imagined. Anxiety, on the other hand, is a state of confusion. And uh, yet there's so little real danger in our lives, which is an odd thing to say when we're suffering from the Bush-Cheney perpetual global war on terror, as if they're going to use fear and terror to defeat terror and fear. That makes sense, right? Just like hate defeats hate and violence defeats violence. What are we down to? A quarter of America that still believes that? About 25, maybe 30% by some polls. Still thinking that makes a lot of sense. So uh, we're Bush and Cheney, and uh, purveyors of fear, we're going to protect you from fear. Did you hear Al-Qaeda's coming for Dick today? Yeah. <laughs> Cheney hits rock bottom in his popularity. And, uh, you know, what, what with the uh, Bush pardoning or commuting the jail sentence of Scooter Libby, and so they have to float a story that Al-Qaeda's coming to get Dick Cheney to curry some sort of sympathy for Dick. That'll work. We all feel, we're all so concerned that Al-Qaeda's going to off Dick Cheney. I know I'll be losing sleep over that. But this is not a program about politics. It's a program that certainly can be about current events. But we're not interested so much in the politics as in the psychology and spirituality at the root of the corruption that we call our political system and the philosophy at the roots of our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. And today, when I talk about, well, we're on the other side of the fun drive, let's go back to basics. When it comes to personal growth, self-improvement, spiritual development, the unfoldment of human potential, we got to face our fear. And even though there's a technical difference between fear as a response to danger, real or imagined, and anxiety, which is just simply a state of confusion rooted in not understanding yourself, much less the world around you, I tend to use the words interchangeably. And I figure, why not, as long as I'm clear up front that to me, fear, anxiety, stress, worry, nervousness, apprehension, 
<laughs> even misgivings or concern. It's all the same thing. There's just not that much danger in the world. I'm sorry, it's not a dangerous place. That's the best thing I can do is to, to, to subvert our government. The most radical thing that I can do on KPFK is tell you that you're safe. I'm sorry. You're not in that much danger. I'm not minimizing the concerns I have about uh, the effects of injustice in the world. I'm not going to minimize my concerns about the gross injustice that is poverty and racism and sexism. These are very real concerns. There is an inherent danger or series of dangers that go with that, economic injustice and racial injustice. And the uh, consequences of our inhuman foreign policy, not just with Bush and Cheney, but going back as long as I've been alive, going back to the Monroe Doctrine, going back to our, our Bill of Rights, which was really all, all white men are created equal. There's a lot of problems with that. And uh, I don't want to minimize the effects of global warming and the impact on the environment. Tomorrow we get a series of big concerts all over the world. Uh, folks are turning green, thinking twice about buying filtered water in plastic bottles. I think that's a good idea. We think we're green because we drink filtered water, and then <laughs> those bottles are made out of oil, of course. I'm glad people are starting to think about that. And... Uh, yeah, I, I, you can make a case for there being many, many dangers in the world. But personally, I think the most dangerous thing that most of us do is drive on the freeway. So where is our stress and anxiety coming from, if not danger? Well, so the appearance of danger, like, like, like the fear of flying, for example, you know technically in your head that you're safer in an airplane than you were driving to the airport. But at least the car was on the ground, and the airplane's 35,000 feet in the air, so it doesn't look all that safe. But technically, you're safer in the airplane. And yet we have something called a fear of flying. What is that? If it's not about danger, it's about confusion. And so I'm arguing today that 99.9999, and add a few more, percent of your stress, your anxiety, your worries and your doubts, your apprehensions, your misgivings, and the F word, your fear, is about things unknown, about confusion. And this is where it all begins, because at the center of all the things you don't know, at the heart and soul of all the things that are confusing to you is the self. And it's such a simple concept, and yet your eyes point in the wrong direction. And all of your other physical senses and sensations come from elsewhere. And we're so concerned about controlling the world around us that rarely do we look at us. And even if it occurred to us, who has the skills, who knows how to face the fear of not knowing who you are? And doesn't that beg the question of, I've tried all my life to control other people, whether it's war or domestic violence, and I can't control other people, can't even control your kids, 
talking to a couple this morning. They have a young child. I, I said, remember when she learned to say no? Wasn't that a charming <laughs> day in the life of a young parent when the kid says no? Can't control your kids. You know, obviously can't control the Iraqis. We couldn't control the Vietnamese, the Nicaraguans, the El Salvadorans, the Koreans, and on and on and on. Can't control the world around you. And if your fear and anxiety is ultimately rooted in what you do not know about yourself, then wouldn't self-control be more to the point than trying to control others? There's just not a whole lot of money to be made there. The big money is in war. The big money is in drugs. The big money is in trying to control other people, which you can't do. There's a wonderful saying uh, from a Hindu mystic out of the 19th century, Ramana Maharshi, and he said, as one of my favorite sayings, forgive me if you've heard me go on about it before, but I, I just think it's so profound. He said, in so many words, I can only paraphrase, that uh, to avoid injuring your bare feet, you could cover the whole world with leather. It would just be a lot simpler to put on a pair of shoes. So instead of needing to control the whole world around you, how about some self-control? Aha, but there's the rub. You don't know the self, do you? And that's the root of your fear, and that's the source of your anxiety, and that's why you're nervous and anxious and your life doesn't work. You don't know what to do because you don't know what you want because you don't know the individual that wants it or feels like they should do something. Could it be more simple? Like that song, looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for control in all the wrong places. You're looking for an antidote to your fear in all the wrong places. You have fingerprint evidence and DNA proof that you're unique and you're not interested. You're much more interested in other people. We want somebody to love us. The idea that you could love yourself or that you are love doesn't occur to most people. I don't hear a whole lot of conversation about that. I hear religious people saying, God loves you. I hear Christians saying, Jesus loves you. So I looked in the book. Doesn't say in the book that God loves you. Doesn't say Jesus loves you. Says in John, God is love. Wait a minute. I think that's very different. You mean God is not a, a, a guy on a cloud? An old guy with a white beard living in a castle in the sky, like on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, very remote and very, very, very far away. Maybe instead God is love. It doesn't say God loves you. That, <laughs> that would separate you from your source separate you from that image and likeness that you were made in. So if if what religious people call God is love, then your identity is love, and yet we're looking for love. Somewhere out there is somebody to love me. Wait a minute. It's like a fish looking for water. 
<laughs> is there such a thing as a thirsty fish going around? Where's the water? I'm so thirsty. I can't find any water anywhere. Uh, how absurd. This is the human predicament. We're looking for love. We're looking for safety and security and peace and understanding. And we'll hire these, these murderous barbarians to run our government in hopes that they'll make us safe. Doesn't George W. and Dick, don't they make you feel really safe, don't they? Gotta kill them over there, the bad guys, before they come over here. I've got news for you. The bad guys are already here. You know, if, the, if somebody can tell me a difference between the neocons and Al-Qaeda, I'd love to know, other than fundamentalist Christian, fundamentalist Muslim, but the fundamentalism is the importance here. And the willingness to kill in the name of God and to pretend that you're led by God. What links all of this stuff? The fear that comes from not knowing who you are. And so, of course, you couldn't possibly know why you're here or what you're for or what is life or what are you supposed to do with it. And I'm arguing today because, again, it's sort of back to basics day for me. I don't always do it right out of the fun drive, but... Years ago, I started this tradition, and usually out of the fun drive, we go back to basics. So we look at fear. And identify it as not really having anything to do with danger, but just the confusion of not knowing who you are. So that's my argument today. I'd like to open up the telephones in a few minutes and give you an opportunity to call and make some comments about this. About the nature of fear in the world, about the extent to which you see it, like me, is rooted in this great psychological, philosophical, and yeah, even spiritual dilemma of uh, not understanding our identity. I mean, how could we be motivated? How can we understand our motives or why we feel the way we do or what makes us tick? if we don't have an accurate sense of the identity behind the motive. Here's part of the rub. Part of the rub is just that to really know yourself, you have to go beyond thinking. You are, you are what you care about more than what you think about yourself. Thoughts, by their very nature, tend to be critical, they're negative, they're deductive. That's what logic is, a process of elimination. That's what algebra is. Remember, you start with that big, long algebra problem, and you factor this, and do the same operation to both sides, and break it down. Well, you balancing a checkbook, ordering from a menu even, is uh, eliminating what you don't want to finally arrive at what you do want. The, the nature of logic is that it's deductive. There is such a thing as inductive logic, but most of us don't understand it or know about it or use it. We're so in our anxiety-driven, fear-driven, fight-or-flight response that we rely on deductive logic to an inordinate extent. And so when you think about yourself, you become very critical. You've noticed, I'm sure. <laughs> And if you start some kind of positive self-talk, you figure on some level you're just fooling yourself or jiving yourself, just playing along. Everybody gets a vote uh, 
in how good you are except you. You're the only one that doesn't get any input. Because you're biased, you would always favor you. So everybody gets a vote on how you're doing and who you are and what your worth is except you. And then our own thoughts about self tend to be so critical, so destructive, and so negative. But here's the deal. I'm arguing that you have a second way of knowing and understanding things, a second form of intelligence that really is dedicated to the self. It's emotional intelligence said simply, you're not what you think about yourself nearly as much as you are how you feel about yourself or how you Feel about things in general. What do you care about? I'm, I'm tempted to say, what do you love? But the, the, the word love is so overused and misunderstood. How about if I just say instead, what do you care about? Why are you listening to this program right now? Of all the things you could be doing, of all of the diversions, <laughs> uh, why are you listening to this program on this radio station right now? Because you care. Why do you care? What do you care about? Uh, they don't teach us that in school because, again, school is about controlling other people. It's not about self-control. It's about understanding other people, judging other people, comparing, competing, contrasting, but not about knowing yourself. And when it begins to hurt because you don't know yourself, well, we got drugs for that. If you begin to get a little nervous or anxious or your kid, his mind gets a little scattered and a doctor says, well, he's got ADD. Well, of course he has ADD. There's a lot of anxiety that comes from living in a world where nobody knows who they are and instead are focused on understanding others so they can control others. <laughs> that's what ADD is it's stress but we got drugs for that let's drug the kids we'll warehouse the kids and then uh, we'll just drug society like uh, I keep wanting to say George Orwell but it was really Aldous Huxley wasn't it that talked about putting Soma in the water Soma for sleep that book that came out in the 50s, Brave New World, would just, would just put the Paxil and the Prozac in the water supply. Uh, I gotta be, you know, every time I get into the rap about antidepressants, I get, I get very defensive and sometimes angry phone calls from people who are benefiting, they say, from it. Okay, fine. But even people who think they need these drugs would have to think twice about the impact on a society that is largely drugged. Because to whatever extent you don't feel your pain, to that same degree you cannot feel joy. I don't know if it occurs to people. Well, I do have a sense of it, but I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here. That if you're doing Paxil or Prozac, or Wellbutrin, or my God, we've got this whole long list now of these so-called antidepressants. Or maybe you're just from the the uh, Jack Daniels or Jose Cuervo school of antidepressant. Or you just hit a bong or uh, smoke some crack. Or we got all kinds of new drugs now. Cheese, 
ice. Meth. I mean, that's another way, I suppose, of making sure that you don't feel your emotional feelings. But to whatever extent we cut ourselves off from our hurt, doesn't it make sense that to the same degree we would cut ourselves off from joy and happiness and love and peace of mind? And you're fooling yourself if you think otherwise. There's a horrible price to be paid. I have friends who are on antidepressants, and they're afraid to get off them, to stop using them, and sometimes they talk to me about it. It's just way scary, because they have to feel their feelings. They have to, they have to eventually, and so will you, if you haven't already, at some point in our lives, we have to take a look at who are we really. We have to face our fear. We have to go into what Joseph Conrad called the heart of darkness, what the Buddhist calls the hero's journey, what other teachers describe as spiritual warfare, where the enemy is ignorance, it always is, where the enemy is what you don't know, as indicated and signified by fear, anxiety, stress, worry, doubt, nervousness, apprehension. That's exactly where you want to go. <laughs> and what could be more counterintuitive? To face your fear? To move directly at what is scaring the bejesus out of you? That's exactly what we have to do. Now, there's one more thing I want to mention. Then we're going to take a short break and come back with some telephone calls. And we give the number. Brooks is our producer. You'll talk to her before you go on the air. She'll help you get ready with your question or your comment. 818-985-5735. Obviously, we're live broadcasting from lush, subtropical North Hollywood, California. 818-985-5735. 985-KPFK in the 818 area code. For your questions and your comments about the nature of fear and anxiety and just this whole dilemma of self. Why it is we want to know other people to control other people, but we're not interested in self-knowledge or self-control. Again, you've got fingerprint proof and DNA evidence of your absolute uniqueness. You'd think somebody would be interested in finding out what really makes us tick. 818-985-5735. But I think besides the psychological component and the philosophical component, I think there's a, a spiritual aspect of fear that I want to touch on briefly. And then we'll take our break and, and go to those telephone calls. You see, fear has a component that is mental. If our, if our fears are thought of as being essentially emotional, they're part of a dynamic process, and I've already said, I've, I've already made my thesis statement here, my argument that what fear is in the absence of any clear and present danger, which is the vast majority of our lives, 99% plus, it's not danger, it's just confusion and things unknown. Well, that compounds fear, which creates more confusion that creates more fear, that creates more confusion. 
and round and round and round it goes, like a vicious cycle. Fear promoting ignorance, ignorance promoting fear, which promotes more ignorance and more fear and more ignorance and more fear. And I know there's lots of folks that listen to this radio station and particularly to this program that understand that all of her problems, all of our worldly, earthly problems, really can be traced ultimately, fundamentally, to fear and ignorance. It always comes back to fear and ignorance. What, <laughs> what do we know about the 25% that still support Cheney and Bush? Fear and ignorance. What do we know about the people that think the Democrats are going to make things utopian? Naivete, <laughs> fear and ignorance. It couldn't do worse. Well, what's beneath this fundamental vicious cycle of anxiety and confusion or fear and ignorance? I think this is the spiritual component, if you will, to anxiety and stress and this dynamic of, of, of fear promoting confusion, which promotes more fear and more confusion. It's that spiritually we are one. And incarnated, we are many. That spiritually we are unified, a great ocean. And incarnated in form, we are diverse, we are unique. This is one of the great paradoxes of reality, the oneness of spirit and the multiplicity, the multidimension, the, the, multi, the multiplexity. Is that a word? The, the multiplicity, <laughs> the diversity of uh, the incarnated forms. And so, what is birth but to be ripped from the spiritual oneness of things and slammed down into these separate bodies and birth, the ultimate in separation anxiety, but not just physical separation anxiety, but a spiritual separation anxiety where we slowly become conscious as these little critters in form of the fact that we've been separated from our source. And that, I would argue, is at the root of our fears, of our confusion, and every problem, whether you see it as social or political or racial or sexism or whatever injustice you want to point to, the environment. I mean, how stupid. Talk about bird brain, but even a bird won't follow its nest. Only humans do that. Ostriches don't bury their heads in the sand. Only humans do that. And, and, and so what is the source of human ignorance and fear? The spiritual appearance of separation, the spiritual dilemma of being ripped from the bosom of our oneness and thrown into these separate bodies, and how do you go home again? You have to study, you have to meditate, you have to be mindful. That's the only hope there is. got to listen to radio programs like this. you got to go to the Bodhi Tree and the Psychic Eye and the Alexandria. you got to get our podcasts. you got to go to seminars. you got to talk with your friends. That's the study. You've got to meditate. There are so many different forms. I don't care which form you do, as long as you set aside a few minutes every day to turn away from the physical and look at the inner landscape. To look away from your 
your your apparent need to know others that you might control others and instead desire to better know yourself that you might have self-control and then thirdly beyond study the various forms of meditation contemplation or introspection is just mindfulness you got to wake up we have to wake each other up we have to learn to pay attention to look at your thoughts and say, I can disagree with my thoughts. I could say yes to this thought, or I could say no to this thought. I could be conditional and say, you know, this thought, this is an old pattern of mine, and I'm not so sure it really serves me. Maybe I'll just put this thought on the back burner and uh, let it cook down, render it a little bit, let it simmer. Put it in the maybe category, but be the one who chooses, not just the thinker. And if you can change your mind, if you can choose your thoughts, then be the one that chooses. You're not the thought. And if you can change your mind and change your behavior, couldn't you change your heart? Couldn't you change the way you feel? Couldn't you master that third element? You know you can change your behavior. You know you can change your mind. Why not change your heart? Why not take ownership of that instead of projecting and, and, and transferring and, and blaming others? Well, they made me do it. They made me think, or my favorite, they made me feel. Oh, poor little victim. Poor little target. Poor little effect of life. So, yeah, there's psychological components to this. There's philosophical and, and, uh, and even deeper a spiritual component to the nature of fear, but I, I thought we'd flush it out. Nothing's more basic, as I said before. This whole strip, Inner Vision and the Aware Show, is about unfolding and developing human potential. It's about self-improvement, self-realization. Uh, what's the military say? Be all you can be. They stole that. Uh, developing yourself, realizing who you really are. And, and instead of looking for people to love you, identify as that love you've been looking for and give it away. <laughs> That's what plugs up the works. We're all trying to push the stream to, you know, to, to get from others that which we already have. And when you understand that not only do you deserve love, but that you are love, from a particular point of view, I'll admit, there is that uniqueness. Now we're rocking and rolling. Now we're doing inner vision on a Friday. Now you're free. Now you're liberated. Now you are the spiritual warrior, and you can face your fears. Indeed, look for them. And if, if in those rare instances that the fear you discover in your life is a real danger, then turn and run like hell. Or fight, fight or flight. But in the vast majority of cases, when you find that that fear is just confusion about the world around you because you're confused about who you are, then move directly at the fear. For the best of you, the best parts of you are hidden where you're most afraid to look. That's my premise for the day today. Back to basics and inner vision with Michael Benner, KPFK, Los Angeles, on your radio. And uh, let's take some calls, 818-985-5735. We're talking about fear, capital F fear, the big deal fear, 
facing your fear, moving directly at your fear, self-control, insight and understanding, 818-985-5735. Let's take a short break, and we'll be back with your telephone calls and intervision. This is Michael Benner. Together we're listening to KPFK. Intervision on KPFK. So we're back from the fun drive and uh, back into the summer here, ready for regular programming. And again, we're talking about anxieties and fears and stresses and what's really at the root. And uh, I've laid out my premise, and now let's go to the telephones, take some calls. Let's start with Dan in Los Angeles. You're on KPFK with Michael Benner. Hiya, Dan. Um, consciousness. Yeah. The show is consciousness. It's about being aware and to really be aware of that. Uh, it's funny, I called when you were talking about loving yourself and being aware, and then you moved into the topic I wanted to get to, which was drugs. There's a new study from John Hopkins University came out last year. Dr. Ritter, I believe, I have the study right here, was the, the chief um, researcher down there, and uh, did a study on a, you can look it up, it's a pretty common study now, on magic mushrooms. And basically found that there were medicinal uh, uses of the drug. And not only that, the people two weeks after they took the drug reported uh, that their lives were better, that they were more spiritually aware. And the, the article is called Magic Mushrooms Researcher Validates 60s Stories. People say, well, what were the 60s about? Obviously, it wasn't just about drugs. It was about consciousness. But there are drugs that are better than others. And I think you, you've hit the nail right on the head when you talk about people getting into Prozac, and the TV is a drug, of course. Um, it's spiritual. I think that it, the most important issue is consciousness. And I, would, I was down at City Council where Jackie Goldberg was talking about decriminalizing drugs, treating it as a medical product problem. But even beyond that, I would suggest that all conscious people raid City Council and demand for religious freedom. <laughs> no, this is serious. Well, uh, Relig- Let me just finish the point, though. For religious sure. freedom, they legalized marijuana and magic mushrooms and the experimentation of LSD again, even on a city level, and let the feds do what they want. This is a, an issue. I mean, this is the last point. I don't want to filibuster, but I just want to make this last point that people understand how the natives used it to heal. Right. But LSD comes from ergo. Rye ergo. You know. Rye ergo, Jewish rye. What do you think Jesus gave to his disciples? I mean, this is a serious issue, because in a country that claims to be religious and moral, and then we have all this antichrist behavior, of course, Bush slammed the study, we have to start approaching consciousness on a spiritual level, and not talking about just, you know, uh, we have to talk about the drugs, because now the pharmaceuticals are shoving down these horrible drugs. Yep, yep. 35 years ago... There was a presidential blue ribbon commission, as you probably know. You seem pretty well informed on this stuff that that Nixon threw away because he didn't like the outcome. But it was uh, all these uh, right wingers and stuff shirts, and and uh, they were supposed to study the deleterious effects of marijuana, and instead they came back and said this is harmless. Um, and it's uh, not a narcotic, it's not addictive. In fact, it even has medical benefits and ought to be decriminalized. This was 1972. So obviously they're not interested in science, they're not interested in truth, they're interested in mind control. And the drugs we've mentioned, the so-called pharmaceuticals, shut down your consciousness, and as you've pointed out, the psychedelic is consciousness expanding. Well, that's very dangerous if you're trying to control a society. Right. There were people that, of course, bad-tripped in the study, like 30%, had 
had some form of anxiety, but what people aren't understanding is the whole society, we just killed a million Arabs for, for whatever ridiculous reason, we're overworked. You know, the environment, Timothy uh, Leary was describing it, but these people, the environment affects your anxiety and these conscious expanding drugs. Yeah, so I agree. That. I, I'm, I've always been in favor of the intelligent use of psychedelics, and, um, you know, by adults anyway. And uh, I think you're right. I don't think we could very easily anyway, overstate the impact of psychedelics on the culture. It's so many of us. I mean, my only interest in spirituality certainly didn't come from being raised in the church. It, it came from eating acid in the 60s. That, that's when I figured that there was more than what was apparent. But because of the anti-psychedelic, because of television, you are considered a freak. If you went on, I mean, you're awesome, Mike. I've known you for years. But if you went on television and said that, can you imagine the Sean Hannity's and Bill O'Reilly's? Yep. Which is why I'm suggesting that people take back, take action in their own communities and understand this point very well. Prozac and these drugs, alcohol, a little bit of alcohol is okay, obviously, but they're numbing us. And I suggest that this is one of the most important issues in consciousness because it's not just the LSD or the mushroom or the pot on the other side, which might expand consciousness, as you pointed out, we are now non-conscious with our drugs. People like the non-conscious drug. Right. And so... That's why we like TV. Your TV is a drug. It's a donor. It's, yeah. it's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> how many people still think that Saddam Hussein was significant? I mean, how many arguments you get in with people say, well, he was an evil man. So what are you talking about? You wouldn't even know who he was. They're getting dumber, too. I mean, in the 50s, it was the $64,000 question. Now Howie Mandel just opened suitcases for no reason at all. They're <laughs> it's really dumbing down beyond the... beyond Religious any. freedom, Michael. I think that's the way to go, because the natives have already paved the way, Native Americans with peyote, and say they have no right to come in on these people who have deep connections to these drugs for spiritual reasons. And now we have science backing us up. I agree. I okay. agree. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Michael. Good, good input. And again, that what was so scary about those early psychedelic trips, it was that you had to face yourself. I mean, how many people spend half of their first trip in front of a mirror? <laughs> now, I can't speak for today because it's all bathtub acid, not all of it, but, and, uh, what passes for psilocybin and, and, and mescaline, you don't, you don't know what the hell you're getting anymore. But I don't know how many people knew that in the 60s, the vast majority of acid on the college campuses was government acid. They bought it from Sandoz because they didn't know the difference between milligrams and mics. Acid, you're dosed in micrograms, so the... The, the dopes at the CIA presumed that it was milligrams, and they bought a thousand times more than they thought they were buying. Had so much LSD that they started dosing uh, military guys and looking for that mind control agent and prisoners and mental patients, and college professors, and gave it to their grads and the grads would watch the people they were dosing, and then they dosed themselves because they started seeing God and having these religious experiences. And well, I guess the rest of the '60s uh, speaks for itself. But yeah, hallucination needs uh, needs some work when we think of what hallucination means. So 
Go to Hollywood and Jay. You're on KPFK with Michael Benner. It's Intervision. Hello, Jay. Hi, Michael. You know, I came to Los Angeles uh, 20 years ago to pursue acting, and it hasn't worked out to the level that I wanted it to. And now I'm in my 40s. I've been out of it for a few years. I'm, every time I think about pursuing it now, I get this really terrifying fear. And I don't know if it's telling me, you know, not to pursue it and to, and to go on to something else, or if, I sh- if it's just fear and I should pursue it anyway. I'm confused. Yeah. I can't. That's a great practical application or, or, or question, very practical question based on what we've been talking about. Yeah, it, I would argue, not knowing you and, and taking at face value what you've said, that all other things being considered, it is not a intuitive hit that you should not be an actor. It is the unknown part of it. It's the confusion that comes from not having done it yet or succeeded yet, and it should be expected and accounted for. The difference between stage fright, for example, and stage fever uh, is not as uh, much as you might guess. Uh, A little bit of stage fright is a good thing. So with a nice, slow, deep breath and some positive thinking and (laughs) <laughs> you know, rehearsing your lines and other things. Also, doing your best, and this is hard for beginning actors, to choose parts that really are right for you, where you can pull on something that you do know about yourself and bring that to the part. A lot of actors are trying to find themselves in the various roles rather than take something they know of themselves to the role and reject a role where they cannot do that. You'll develop that skill. But in the interim, some good rehearsal and positive thinking. Uh, rehearse with your eyes closed so you can experience yourself uh, not only on the set, but as if you were viewing yourself from a theater or, a, you know, whether it's stage play or film or whatever you want to do. Really visualize and really get a feeling for that. And then just step into that fear. Just step directly at it and go for it. And that's how you, that, it's simply said, it's a, there's a little more to it, but turning that stage fright into stage fever is an incredible process where, you know, they might have to drag you out on the stage, but then once you get out there and the curtain goes up, they're going to have to drag you off because you just love it so much. And again, fear and excitement are first cousins. They're very closely aligned. Mm-hmm. But one is, oh no, and it'll hold you back. That's like a wind in your face, but... To put the wind at your back, that's the old boy, and you use the very same energy to motivate you and, and, and move forward into it with great excitement and anticipation. And, yeah, you're going to screw it up, but every time you screw it up, you're going to learn a little something. And Yeah, I would, I would, given what you've said, and that I don't really know you and can't spend a whole lot of time with you, I'd say it's much more likely that's what your anxiety is. It's just the feeling that goes with things unknown, especially the personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Does that help? Yes. Got an agent? I no. I think that's like a, it's like I'm starting all over again. Taking acting classes? Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. And remember, it's not who you know; it's who knows you. Mm-hmm. You hear me? It's not who you know; it's who knows you. I spent years in this city saying it's all who you know. It's all who you know. You know, and people say it's all who you know. It's not. It's who knows you. Mm-hmm. So, to some extent, it's who you know. But even more importantly, who knows you? So get out there. Do everything you can. Okay. Follow up every lead. Make friends. Be sincere. And uh, believe in yourself. 
Be, your, be, be the president of your own fan club. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Just get ego out of the way. Get ego under control. And uh, you'll do fine with that. Well, okay? Thank you very much. Good question. I'm sure a lot of people in this city listening right now are relating to what you're saying. Um, that's good. Okay, guy. Thanks thank for you. calling. Let's go out to Thousand Oaks and Cameron. You're on KPFK with Michael Benner on Intervision. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Michael. Happy Friday. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks. Uh, I was just curious what your uh, response would be to uh, uh, biological information that I'm aware of, that fear causes a, a defense response that makes you forget the events or things that cause the fear. Are you aware of that uh, that being reported? You're talking about what happens long-term memory, not short-term memory or in the moment, right? Uh, well, for example, when uh, uh, when a victim goes through a traumatic uh, event as a victim of crime, they've only got about 30 minutes where their memory of the event is clear, and then the uh, the uh, biological effect of the adrenaline that they've generated in their body yeah. causes uh, an inability to recall those events. Yeah, I saw some of this on a... Uh... A uh, news magazine on TV the other day where they were injecting adrenaline in mice and such. Is that the show you're talking about? No, uh, that must be another production, but I've heard about this, uh, in several contexts. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just curious to know what your response would be to that. And, and as well, you know, the, the, the inability to think clearly when we're overwrought with anxiety. Well, a couple of things there. I think, the, the 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 first thing you brought up is a little deeper and more complex, and I'm really no expert in the field at all, but from a philosophical point of view, we're always safe when we go to philosophy. Uh, it would make sense to me that um, the really debilitating traumas in our lives can be more easily forgotten. Uh, I remember many times when I'd go backpacking in the summer and the first trip out, I'm climbing some mountain, and I'm going, why did I forget? How did I forget how much work this is? This is all. <laughs> and, you know, and then I get to the top of the mountain, and I'd make a little cup of tea, and I'd look out over the range at how beautiful it was, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, this is why I'm here. So we forget the hurt, and we remember the good stuff, and there may be some built-in evolutionary scheme and all of that. But as far as the confusion that comes from facing fear, real or imagined, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's that fight-or-flight response, that live-or-die, halt who goes there, friend or foe. You, as, as Bushy says, you're either with us or against us. You know? Yeah, I think I think it's kind of the point now where either you're with Bush or you're with America, but that's kind of another subject. But well, that either-or thinking, those false dichotomies and... You can see these mind control guys like Holmes and I don't mean uh, Hannity. What's his name? Sean Hannity and um, and Bill O'Reilly and and uh, Glenn Beck and these guys. They're very very good at. In fact, they're trained by the talking points people, the Office of Perception Management. They call it uh, to take every permutation and every combination. And frame it as a dichotomy. It's all this or all that. It's everything or nothing. All differences are opposites. And it's like foolish and simple-minded, but it is not only a function of fear, it's a way of promoting even more fear. And that's how you sure, control it's, people it's, is through fear. 
It's a method of speaking to the lizard brain and overriding yep. the conscious mind. Yeah, very, exactly. That's I'm, I'm kind of reminded of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's statement, you must do the thing you fear. And the death of fear is certain. Yep. Yep. Well, She's got five or six good sayings. I think she gave FDR that line about the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Right? <laughs> Could easily be. I, I think that was Eleanor. Hey, thanks for calling. Thanks very much. We got time for just one more in Ventura. What was that name? Is that Christine? Yeah, in Ventura. You're on KPFK. We just got a couple of minutes. Hi, Michael. I'll make this quick. It's Christine from the station. I'm on vacation. Oh, hi. I just wanted to say that sometimes, um, I think when people experience near death, ex- uh, near death experiences where they have, uh, where this whole concept of time, uh, is completely washed away. Um, I know I've had that experience myself where um, time actually had stopped and it was a very beautiful, calming, amazing experience that has actually helped get rid of my fear of fear and fear of death. And I think sometimes people need to, go, they, if they go through that and experience it, it takes a lot of that fear uh, away from it. Yeah, um, there's no question about that. And, and if you haven't had a near-death experience or out-of-body experience or or experience that timeless uh, uh, experience, for for lack of a, a better term. It is hard to explain to other people, but I, too, have had one of those. Uh, having left my motorcycle at 80 miles an hour one afternoon, uh, <laughs> rocket boy going through the air, and there was a freeze frame kind of timeless uh, everywhere nowhere quality to it that's that's uh, hard to experience hard to explain but again the the philosophies about being in the now and the power of now and the present moment and 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 eternity just being an instant that never ends uh, all of that merits some reflection well i think thank you very much for your show today i really appreciate uh, what, you, what you're covering today. Well, thanks, Christine, and it's nice to hear from you. I noticed your office was empty, so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on vacation. Enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. Man. All right, Christine. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. One of our senior producers at KPFK. See, even on vacation, we listen. We can't help ourselves. Thanks for listening to you, too. Thanks to uh, everybody helping out here, our engineers, and, um, and Brooks, our producer, to my wife, Doreen, for all her help. And uh, hope you'll make it a point to join us every Friday for Intervision. Actually heard Monday through Thursday. It's Richard Bird on Monday, Nita Valens on Tuesday. Lisa Gar calls it the Aware Show Wednesday and Thursday. My pleasure to be here on Friday for your strip on spirituality and health, on metaphysics and mysticism, on philosophy and psychology. Bottom line? on who we really are and what we're really for. Don't be afraid. That's just the feeling that goes with the confusion of not knowing. Okay? Take a look. I think you'll like what you find. Join us next week. we got some great guests coming up for you. Okay? And, uh, in fact, I think the next three or four weeks are all booked up. So be sure and join us. Intervision, 1 o'clock on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner.
You've been listening to Inner Vision on radio powered by the people, KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara. Listen live globally at www.kpfk.org.